Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prisoners will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building. You're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control business and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75, 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you don't have a, you don't have an economic base. Fifty-one percent of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up twelve percent of the population, that's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're gonna go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate. That's the black folk. And what are you gonna do in response to them when they when they, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're gonna go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're gonna march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything. Before I get started with this video, I just want to personally thank the brother Fred Hassan Powell of the Morale Facebook page for sharing this social political cartoon which is currently displayed in this video. I always big up brothers who are artists like him, my man Will James, Alex K. Art, Chris Miller, and others because their pictures speak volumes. They don't have to say one word because as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. In fact, I want y'all to take a good look at this picture, which shows a brother with his hat flipped to the back, telling the bald-headed brother that he's hungry as fuck. When the brother attempts to hand him 
his own fishing rod so he can get some fish on his own, he gets verbally assaulted. No, nigga, I want some fish. Fuck out of here with that coon shit. Man, if you look closer, you'll see that the brother that says he's hungry got a fresh pair of Jordans on his feet. And once again, I want to thank you, Fred, for sharing that photo because it is a perfect warm-up for what I'm getting ready to bring up next. Look, last week, I had to stop past a gas station, and when I went in, I took a quick glance over to the newsstand, and I saw the Washington Post. The first thing that caught my eye was something that you normally don't see on the cover of a newspaper, which was a few straggling pants sagging brothers sitting on a stoop of a building outside. I didn't have the time to read the paper in the gas station because I had to fly but I checked the article online when I got home, and I was just flabbergasted. I want you all to check it out for yourself in the description box. It is the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, and the front cover story is a look back at the riots which took place in Baltimore this past April following the death of Freddie Gray. The Post took the time to interview a few of the residents and get their personal take on how things have been and has any positive change comes to the streets of Baltimore after the riots. And one of the brothers that they interviewed was a young man that was out there on the streets peddling drugs from time to time, and he stated that he ended up finding out shortly after the riots that there were a few storefront apartments that were up for sale, and that they were only selling for just $5,000 a piece. He then said that when he ran the idea of getting together and investing in the neighborhood past several brothers that he was out there selling drugs with on the streets, all of them told him no. And see, this goes to what brothers like myself, Sean James, and many others who are right here on YouTube have been telling y'all about this modern Negro, okay? This Baltimore brother that was interviewed by the Washington Post had a great idea and the right frame of mind to purchase this storefront property while the price is extremely low. But the rest of the Negroes that are around him ended up dragging him into the quagmire of apathy that surrounds the Negro landscape. She'll do. She just hit you in your face. She'll do. That bitch scared, nigga. Oh, oh. Beat that motherfucking ass. She's like you, motherfucking nigga. Beat that motherfucking ass. That nigga can't hurt himself. You from Nuke State. Look, the main spot that this brother was looking to purchase had five rooms between both of the upstairs levels, and it just needed a little bit of furnishing. These spots could have easily been rented out to tenants or used as cheap housing by family and friends that could have worked a legitimate business out of that storefront. The Negro just don't get it. Because the more legitimate storefronts, strip mall shops, apartments, and tenements you own would lessen the police targeting you. Because then you could do what the foreigners and white folks that own these places do, which is hire the police to work security at your properties and places of business. Why do you think they don't go upside the heads of these foreigners? Because they step to the police officers and let them know that they have work for them. These foreigners and white folks that own and run these storefronts 
hire the cops, and if they don't pay them with cash, they give them free merchandise and meals on the house, so they in turn look out for them. And half these cops do moonlighting security at these places, even when they are on duty, because all they got to do most of the time is just drive through with a squad car or do a quick foot patrol right near the business or apartment housing units that are being rented out. This is why they don't give the Chan family or any Chinese youngster any problems when they see them in the hood by their dry cleaners. This is why they don't bother Mr. or Mrs. Akbar or any Arab kids that they see near the gas stations they own. This is why they don't mess with Miss Yi or any of her grandkids that are close to the nail salon she owns. Because they take a small percentage of the proceeds and pad the local policeman's pockets. And see, your typical foolish Negro that would challenge what I just told you will say, well, see, you insinuating that we got to bribe the police for them to stop brutalizing us. But they, like most, don't know anything about capitalism. It is a game of economic musical chairs. I just gave you the analogy when I mentioned all the foreign families that own all the storefronts, strip malls, and rental properties. Who is the only one who is left standing up with no businesses or property to speak of when the music is done playing and the cops roll through the neighborhood? That's us, yapping back and forth when the music stops and they tell our loitering asses to get moving or catch a bruising. That's us, walking around with sagging pants and glow-in-the-dark fluorescent-colored wigs like this sister that you see right here tossing rocks during the riot last April. Now, she's throwing rocks and expressing her anger and frustration, but she has a fresh weave on top of her head, which helped pay some of the officers that broke Freddie Gray's back. So who is the sellout and coon, black folks? And think about it. If you own some of those storefronts and control the flow of unlaundered, legitimate-made currency that comes through those areas, you can do your illegal dirt all day long without that much harassment from the local authorities. You might draw attention from a few alphabet gang organizations like the DEA, FBI, and others, but the local guys aren't going to pay that much attention because you're helping them pay bills and you're putting food in their stomach. And since I brought up the subject of illegal activity and you pan-sagging clowns love to talk about how gangster you are, why don't you do what some of the Irish, Italian, Jewish, and Polish immigrants your dumbass keeps trying to emulate did by legitimizing some of your hustles and using the same police force that chases you around the neighborhood as a shield. See, most Negroes will try to tell you that we are always at the end of a nightstick or baton or getting showered with bullets just because we are black. But ask yourself a question. Why aren't that many Ethiopians and West Africans getting mollywhopped and punished to the extent that many so-called African Americans are in the U.S.? Remember, they're just as black and sometimes way darker than us. But why are there fewer cases of them being brutalized and killed by the police like we saw with Amadou Diallo or Abner Louima, both of which took place in New York? Why so few cases compared to us so-called Afro-Americans? It's because they're smart enough to own businesses, restaurants, furniture stores, parking lots, etc., and pay the cops to look the other way so their fellow countrymen aren't harmed in any way. That's the logical thing to do. But you can't tell this Negro from America that because you're still living off the backwards principle and creed of entitlement, which these liberals drafted up for us long ago. 
instead of assessing this situation from a global perspective and seeing that everyone else seems to be purchasing everything around us so they can live comfortable lives and keep us at a position of marginalization as opposed to putting themselves in that boat, the Negro man and woman in the U.S. will counter it by saying, See, I object because my tax dollars pay for the police not to harass me. No, they don't, you imbecile. Especially after Uncle Sam rapes their paycheck just like he rapes everybody else's. Now, your pro-whack movement pseudo-black nationalist leaders will call me a coon for telling you this, but this is something that they know firsthand. They also know that you more than likely won't view this phenomenon from all angles because you're still under the influence of the can't-we-all-just-get-along-flavored Kool-Aid most black folks drank after the post-civil rights movement era, thinking that all the bigotry-enhanced physical assaults and beatdowns we took during chattel slavery and Jim Crow had an exclusive cutoff date to them which is why every single year one of these highly publicized police brutality incidents takes place. There's some dumb Negro that says, I don't believe that in 2087 this is still happening to black people. Yeah, it is. And it's going to keep on happening in 2088 if you don't adopt a different way of thinking, dummy. Your pseudo-black nationalists won't tell you that you are mostly to blame for this continually happening because they want you to keep feeling sorry for yourself and attend more lectures and debates where they argue over whether or not a woman is God or which master teacher's philosophy is better to follow. But I'm here to tell you right now, black folks, that we don't need to attend a gazillion seminars travel with a million other jugheads to commemorate the anniversary of a march that never led to mass black improvement, or study the teachings of some philosophical doctor with 10 degrees to find a solution to our problem. This brilliant brother from Baltimore that was interviewed in the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, who more than likely didn't even finish high school, just gave us the answer. And if you're wondering why I titled this thing Ballin' on Baltic Avenue, I did so as a way of saluting one of my grandfathers. See, long ago when I was a very little boy, he taught me how to play Monopoly. I was about seven years old, and I was all geeked up racing around the boards to buy Boardwalk and Park Place. And he said, go right on ahead. He let me do it and said, I'll just buy a Baltic, Mediterranean, Oriental, and all these other properties that you aren't even thinking about. So as the game went on, and I only owned Boardwalk, Park Place, and Pacific, I think, he had all the other properties, the railroads, the waterworks, the electric company, and a whole bunch of hotels and houses on all of them while I was looking silly. And I ended up having to sell what I owned and wait for that $200 paycheck once I passed go. Once it finally set in, that I lost the game, he chuckled and told me, son, you got to own what's in the ghetto before you walk around the block. And that lesson that my grandfather Dave, rest his soul, taught me still applies to this very day. Ownership is a universal language, no matter what culture or ethnicity you come from, because it regulates the sort of relationship you're going to have with most of the people around you. Somebody came into this store with her child in her car seat. You understand what I'm saying? You don't understand. Why nobody understands what we're saying? Find somebody that understands English so they can understand what I'm saying. 
because we have an issue with this store disrespecting our women, placing their hands on our children. We have an issue, and it needs to be addressed. Who do I talk to? If I can't talk to you, I need to talk to somebody. Who do I talk to? This is a serious issue, and you're not putting us to the side about it either. All of a sudden, nobody can speak English. Who do I talk to? Let me handle this, y'all. Quiet. Who I talk to? Who? 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 Who do I talk to? Not her. She's not the owner. I, I want to talk to somebody that's in charge. Yeah, okay. Here's my point. I'm going to say this. There was a young lady from my community that came in this store last week. She had her granddaughter in a car seat. You all thought she was stealing. She wasn't stealing. But the owner roughed up our young child in a car seat, digging in the car seat, thinking that this parent had stole something that she did not. She did not. He didn't even apologize. What he did was, he said, all black bitches steal and get the fuck out of my store. We got it on video. And I'm telling you this. How dare you disrespect our community? How dare you call our women black bitches? That is intolerable, and that's not happening. We're going to shut you down. We're coming back here. We're going to be in front of this store. We're going to show you what a black bitch is. And you're sitting here shaking your head, yeah, 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 yeah. I can show you better than I can tell you. It is intolerable that you all treat our community this way when we're keeping you in business. A1 Beauty and Supply. Black people come in here all the time and spend their money, yet you disrespect us. Accuse us of stealing. All black bitches steal. That's what your owner said at A1 Beauty. How dare you disrespect our black women like that? And we're coming back. You can sit there all you want to. We're coming back to this store. I'm angry. I'm upset. We make you... We spend money in your store. Put money in your pocket so you send it back to your children. But yet you disrespect our women. Are you kidding me? No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. Let's go. Uh, the smart thing, in my opinion, just my opinion, instead of those guys coming in and giving their peace of mind to the store owner. File a civil suit. Go to civil court, particularly since you said you had evidence. You know, you videotaped the whole thing that allegedly went down. Go to civil court. Sue these people because as soon as you come in and do what you did and say what you said, that can be implied as a threat. Don't hold court outside of court. Go to civil court. This is something you can do on your own. Uh, there's, there's tons of information online, tons of videos on it, plus in any city of any size. 
the courthouse basically has, you know, DYI, do-it-yourself instructions on how to file suit. And then settle it in court. And then and, and step two, don't go back. Don't go back to that store. Anything less than those two things there is basically begging. Because that's how I interpret you guys going back to the store. You were mad and pissed off, allegedly. But you're begging. Please treat us a certain way. Please like and respect us because uh, we want to still give you money. Instead of opening up your own, own beauty supply. Anyway, today's podcast is titled Solar Barbershops. And I'm going to play a piece here uh, on that. Well, they mentioned it in there. And that's one of the projects that we'll be doing this year. Um, if I can find it. Um, where is it? Uh, oh, here we go. All right, so listen to this. This is one of the projects that we're working on. People who live in towns and cities in Uganda and many other African countries have some access to grid electricity to light their homes and power their businesses. But many rural people aren't connected at all. But simply waiting for the grid to arrive isn't good enough for entrepreneurs like Moses Akera. He recognizes there's a good business to be made harnessing the power of the sun. I really prefer solar to be used in the community like this because it remains the property of the clients. You don't pay bills and you don't buy fuel like somebody using generator. So solar energy is the best option for many rural Ugandans. But being new to the industry, many solar retailers like Moses were struggling to make their businesses a success. We don't have capacity uh, to advertise ourselves, our products. We don't have capacity uh, to have quality technical training. So the Rural Energy Foundation, a not-for-profit organization, introduced the Solar Now program in 2007. Its aim, to spread the benefits of electricity throughout rural Africa by providing training and support to existing solar retailers like Moses. And they encourage other retailers and entrepreneurs to start selling solar equipment from scratch. Most of these retailers need to be supported in terms of training so that they can be able to run their businesses better. They also need support in terms of market awareness because so many people out here in the field do not know about solar, so we need to come and enlighten them. As well as training, the Rural Energy Foundation loans retailers portable demonstration kits, which they use to drum up business in local markets. What we're trying to do is these people are off-grid and they do not have access to electricity. So we're trying to show them how solar can improve their lives. For instance, we try to show them how they can make money from solar. For instance, here with us we have a shaver, so they can use this to have barbershops. We also show them how they can use it to use light at their homes. See, when you have this light in your house, the children can study at night. They can use it in their shops to work longer hours and they can use it at home. If retailers want to use the Solar Now brand, they have to commit to providing high quality installations and good after-sales service. The Rural Energy Foundation helps them achieve this by training solar technicians. 
we're trying to get the entrepreneurs to sign service contracts. So when they sell the product, they, it also comes with after-sale service. Let's say they have to check uh, to make a phone call to the customer after a certain period to check if the system is working. And then uh, till after some time through the service contract, they also have to go and actually do the inspection of the system. The Rural Energy Foundation has trained over 200 retailers in nine African countries. So far, they've sold 57,000 solar home systems and 36,000 solar lanterns. They've helped at least 400,000 people, saved nearly 5 million litres of kerosene and 12,000 tonnes of CO2 each year. Basil Okalo is impressed and has decided to buy the equipment from Moses to set up his own solar barbershop and phone charging business. He's taking advantage of a credit scheme which helps entrepreneurs buy equipment from SolarNow retailers to get their businesses going. SolarNow is giving me a loan. I'm going to make a down payment of 25% now. Uh, later, in three months' time, I'll make another 25%, making a total of 50%. Then the remaining I'll complete within a period of a year. With his system now installed, Basil is optimistic about the future. Because this is a new investment I'm going into. I have never been into this business before. But uh, as I see, I have the expectation that I'll I'll make money. Moses is growing his solar retail business too. He already had a shop in town. With support from the Rural Energy Foundation, he's now set up a small village branch to cater specifically for his rural customers. Rural Energy Foundation is very important to us. If they help us training technician, we shall be in position to expand all over. We hope that others will also adopt the private sector development approach. We don't want to be unique. We want to spread the word that this is a really efficient approach to get the technology diffused deeply into the rural markets. The Rural Energy Foundation plans to expand into other African countries and broaden its range of sustainable technologies. Solar panels are now becoming a common sight here on homes, and shops buy them as well to run radios and offer phone charging, increasing their income and enabling people to communicate. And to everyone's delight, the local bar has installed a fridge powered by the sun. The owner is pleased with his investment. Yeah, we're happy. Of course, it's cold. Uh, if we are safe, better. And so I get more customers. <laughs> <laughs>